Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Come on this morning. I want you to put it in the chat. I want you to tell somebody next to you. We are still talking about it. Tell them all I do is win. Come on. All I do is win. Thanks, guys. You guys are awesome. I don't know if you sound like you've got a lot of win in you this morning. When you tell somebody all I do is win, you can't tell them all I do is win. You don't sound like you're committed to your win this morning. Come on, one more time. Tell somebody next to you, all I do is win. If you know all you do is win, you got to get a little bit of something in you. You know, you got to get a little bit of attitude. You got to get a little bit of sway. You got to get a little bit of something when you know all you do is win. There's just kind of a confidence that comes when you know that you're kind of a winner, isn't there? You know, just, I mean, a little bit of assurance that comes from it. We, our oldest son has started playing sports. Um, He has now officially playing soccer and we are now officially soccer parents. And I know, and pray for us saints, because I want to tell, Phil and I really want to be like the cool, chill parents that are like, yay, you're having fun. Um, But it probably won't surprise you to know that we're also kind of like driven, achiever, we like to win parents. And we didn't think we would find it as challenging as we have the last couple weeks to be like, are you focusing on the game right now? Do you know that you're playing the game right now? And my poor husband, you guys really intercede for him. Because some of you may know, but some of you probably don't know that when he was in college, Phil played soccer at a semi-professional level. Like he's good at soccer, right? Not like my team went to state champions, like he's good at it. And our poor son is out there trying to learn how to play this game. But bless his soul. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. So yesterday they got their little soccer game, right? And they're on their way home and, and Phil's like, um, hey, you know, buddy, we, we had a good day at soccer today. Did you have fun? And Theo goes, yeah, yeah. Hey, dad, um, did we win today? <laughs> right? And so Phil had to tell him because we are committed to honesty in our household. Nah, bud. You guys did not win today. They got crushed. His little team lost like 14 to 3 out there, right? The other team came to dominate, and Theo's team did not. So Phil had to break the news to him. Yeah, nah, bud, you did not win today. In fact, you kind of got destroyed out there. And he was like, oh. All right, yeah, okay, Dad. So Phil's trying to, you know, stay engaged, feel out where he's at. And so he goes, hey, hey, buddy, do you, um, do you think you're a, a good soccer player? Now, the kid has just learned that his team was destroyed in soccer. Without skipping a beat, he's like, oh, yeah, Dad. Dad, I'm awesome. I'm probably the best player on my team. 
I'm really good at soccer, so confidence is not an issue that we're working on with our kid because somewhere deep inside of him, he just believes that he is out to win in life. And even though he has just been demolished in the game, there is no doubt in his mind that he is still winning at life. You know, there's something that builds on the inside of you when you just say, you know what, I am out to win in life. And before we leave this series, I want you to get that confidence, that assuredness in you, that steadiness that walks with you in every single season that says, you know what, it might look like there's an L on my scoreboard right now, but I tell you what, I am awesome at life. I am crushing it. I'm probably the best person at what I do. There is a steady confidence in me because all I do is win. And so we're going to keep on it for another week. You ready? Why don't we turn to the book of Philippians? I want us to start in Philippians chapter one today as we keep talking about all I do is win. Now, the book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul, and in this book, he's writing to the churches in Philippi from prison. He has been imprisoned. He's in a Roman prison, and he's writing to send them a letter. And and most scholars think that the way that the letter got to them is that the church in Philippi there had raised some financial support to send to Paul while he was in prison. Unlike what we got to do, we got to send support to people who are in Texas today and say, hey, but we did that. We picked up a phone. We jumped on the website. We sent the money, and it was there. They did not have that option, so they physically sent a person. They chose a representative, and they sent him to take this support to Paul while he was in prison. And then the letter is his response that he sends back. It's full of gratitude for the way that they strengthened and supported him. And it's also full of his apostolic direction for them, for some instruction, for some strengthening, for some equipping. For the churches there in Philippi that were meeting in small groups all throughout this Roman province. And this is what Paul, part of what Paul is saying to them. In Philippians 1, verse 20 through 21. Uh, It says, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an incredible statement. And you know what? I'd like to go to verse 22 there as well, I think, if we're able to grab it. Because he makes this incredible statement that says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He gives us this huge juxtaposition. And then he goes on to say, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. But yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Says, yet which shall I choose? He gives us this huge juxtaposition of these two extremes. For me, to live is to be in Christ, but to die is still great gain. And then he says, but which shall I choose? 
It's an interesting statement for Paul to make, which shall I choose as he sits chained in the midst of a Roman prison waiting for them to lay out the verdict on what is gonna happen with his life, waiting on some official somewhere to make a statement about what is going to be his destiny, what is going to happen in Paul's life, yet still Paul makes this statement, what shall I choose? It seems like Paul thinks even though the future direction of the choices of what his next steps are gonna be lay in the hands of somebody else, that there is something on the inside of him that says, I still choose. There's still a choosing on the inside of Paul's heart. There's still a choosing on the inside of Paul's mind that says the direction of my mind, the direction of my heart, ultimately the direction of my life is not based on what's happening on the outside of me. It's not based on what decision somebody else is making. It's not based on where they're sending me or what they're gonna do with me or the current situation that I find myself in. It's not based on a diagnosis and it's not based on downsizing or expanding or merging or changes that are happening all around me, there is a choosing on the inside of Paul that says, what shall I choose? And I can't hear Paul say, what shall I choose without thinking of how it echoes in the book of Deuteronomy where it says, and now I put before you blessing and cursing. Choose blessing and or cursing, or when Joshua gets to it and he says, I put before you today the option, the choice is yours. Choose to serve the Lord your God. As for me and my house, we have to. There is something about your choice. There is something about the decisions that you make. There is something about the decidedness on the inside of me that says, I have chosen to direct my mind. I have chosen to direct my heart. I have chosen to lead in the way that God has put before me. I have chosen that when I get on my Instagram feed, I don't click on every single piece of clickbait they put in front of me because their choice is to keep me entangled in things that do not feed my heart and my mind and my soul. They cause me to compare the spouse that God has given me. They cause me to compare the home that God has given me. They cause me to compare the way that I look in the body that God has given me so I choose to direct myself there is something about the power of the choice that Paul has hooked on to that he says yes I may be sitting here in chains in a prison yes I may be waiting for someone else to make a decision about my life yes I may feel like everything around me doesn't look like the thing that I thought that it might look like but still I choose the direction that I walk myself towards. And some choices are really easy. What do I put before you today? I put before you blessing and cursing. What shall you choose? I put before you cake or Brussels sprouts. What do you choose today? Some choices are very easy for us to make, but there are other choices that aren't quite so easy. Paul follows it up. He says, what shall I choose? I cannot tell. I cannot tell which thing I'm going to choose right now looking at it because all of the decisions in my life, all of the choices that are laid out in front of me are not quite as simple as choose today blessing and cursing. 
Some of them feel a little bit like I'm in the matrix and it's a red pill or it's a blue pill and which one are you going to choose? And if I'm honest with you, I can't tell which one I'm going to choose because I feel like I don't have enough information for the decisions that you're asking me to make right now. I don't know all of the facts that I need to know about what's on the other side of that red pill. And I don't know what I need to know about the path that that blue pill is going to lead me down and you're asking me to make Make decisions on things that I'm just, I don't have all of the information that I need on this. I'm not sure if I should send my kids to school in person or if I should school them at home because I know that their socialization is very important to them, but I'm also not very clear on what's happening with this virus that keeps kicking up and flaring down and kicking up and flaring down. I feel like I don't have all of the information that I need to make this decision. And if I'm honest with you, I cannot tell which decision I'm going to make. Paul found himself in an I cannot tell type of a situation. We find ourselves in an I cannot tell which one I would choose type of a moment. In a moment where I say I look at all of the options and I look at all of the choices and I'm trying to make some decisions. I like to be able to make plans. I like to be able to make some decisions. I like to look down the line and say, you know what, this is what we're gonna be doing four months from now. This is what we're gonna be doing six months from now. This is where we're gonna be going. This is where we're gonna be heading. But Paul found himself in a moment that said, if I'm honest with you, I'm trying to look down the line and I can't quite tell. And isn't that part of where we find ourselves? I can't quite tell. My kids haven't seen their grandparents in almost two years, and so I'm trying to decide if we're gonna be able to do a family holiday, but I can't quite tell what's gonna be happening four months from now. I know that 12 months ago, we laid out a strategic plan that said that I was supposed to be making a new hire for my business next month, but I'm trying to look down this line, and I can't quite tell. I couldn't tell you if I'm gonna decide to do it or not. And that's enough pressure on its own with all of the external things that I say, I can't quite tell. I cannot tell you what choice I'm going to make. But then it gets even more complex because then we ask about the more important things, the more internal things. And somebody asks you, how are you? And if you're honest, I can't quite tell. I cannot tell you exactly how I feel right now. I cannot tell you exactly how I'm doing right now. I wish that I could give you a lot of assurance. I wish that I could give you a lot of confidence. I wish that I could give you something solid and I wish that I could give you something that made you feel better. But to be honest, I'm not quite sure how I'm doing right now. I wanna tell you that I think that I've overcome my addiction and I'm feeling okay, but I also know that I feel a lot of stress and I feel a lot of pressure right now. And if I'm really honest with you, I can't quite tell if I'm gonna be able to hold on or if that thing's gonna flare up and is gonna overcome me again. I can't quite tell how I'm doing. 
it, it seems like I'm okay and it seems like I'm walking in the right direction. And most mornings I, I think that I probably am, but then I start hearing about how many disasters are going on and how much heartbreak and how much hurt is happening. And then I start to feel my heart growing heavy and I find myself walking down a path that leads me into depression. If I'm honest with you, I can't quite tell how I'm doing right now. See, Paul had walked for a while and he had lived for a while and he had been in a place where he said, you know what, I have to tell you that I don't know which one I'm going to choose. What I do know is that I have placed my confidence in Christ. And when I've placed my confidence and my assuredness and my connection with Jesus and my relationship with him, what I can tell you for sure is that either way, I win. Either way, I come out ahead. Either way, I am victorious. Even though in this moment, I can't quite tell. What I know is that I can't help but win when I'm with him. And I want you to hear how much freedom there is in this place that Paul finds himself living from. How he finds himself in this place of incredible freedom where he says, you know what? I don't know all of the next steps that I'm going to choose. And I don't know where all of the next steps are going to lead. And I can't tell you exactly what's behind door number three or what's at the end of the path of the thing that I'm choosing. What I can tell you is that I have committed to staying connected to Jesus. And what I found after walking for a little bit is that as long as I keep walking with him, all I do is win. It seems like no matter if I'm shipwrecked, I come out on the other side. It seems like no matter if I'm in prison, I come out on the other side. It seems like if I come to you, it's good. And if I stay away, it's good. It seems like no matter what I do, I can't help but win. There is an incredible freedom when you know it's not my decisions that necessarily walk me into the place of winning. It's my connection with heaven that puts me in a place of winning. It's my connectedness with who God is. He lives in this freedom that says, I understand that it's not my external circumstances that dictate whether it's going to be an L or a W on my board. What dictates whether I'm going to get an L or a W on my board is my connection with Jesus, is the place that I stand in. Paul walks them through this argument. He does it all throughout Philippians. He uses this kind of ancient philosophical debate mechanism where he says these two extremes, oh, if I die, it will be this way. If I live, it will be this way. He did it earlier where he said some people preach out of vain ambition and some preach out of pure hearts. You know what? We win either way because we're preached, because the gospel is being preached. He does it later in the book where he says, I have learned that in high times I rejoice and in low times I rejoice. When my bank account is overflowing, I rejoice. And when my bank account is thin, I rejoice because I have found that as long as I am in him, I can't help but come up on the winning side. And when you find yourself in a place where you say, I can't help but come up on the winning side, not because of what's happening outside of me. There might be another surgence of a new strand of a pandemic, or we might finally see it lull in the next couple months. I don't 
don't know. What I know is that I have found myself connected to Jesus. I have found myself in the family of God. I have found the true vine and said I will not be detached from this place of nourishment that comes from heaven. And so all I do is win. So take the job in Mississippi or take the job in Maumee. Stop worrying about the small things. Stop worrying about if it's to the right or if it's to the left. Stop worrying about whether you've been sent away or whether you've been asked to come in and worry about, am I found before God? Have I been found in his presence? Have I been found in right relationship with him? Have I been found in the community of God? Stop worrying so much about your job and start worrying more about am I being detached from the community of God? Am I leaning out of the place that he has called to be the place that strengthens me? Am I leaning out of his presence? Am I neglecting my time with him? Am I neglecting my relationship with him? Because Paul comes to a place where he says, it's not any of these things. I have found myself in a place where if I live, it's good because I can be more fruitful and I can do more to establish his kingdom. And if I perish, it's good because I get to go home and be with Jesus. And he's using these incredible extremes to make the point, if these two things are true, All of the things in the middle are true as well. No matter what it is, he can use that place. And in this great place of assurance that Paul is writing from, he walks them through some places that we find ourselves when we say, I am connected with Jesus. One is that he says there is an expectation of hope. When I know that I am found in him, when I know that all I can do is win, there is expectation. It's a hopeful expectation. It causes me to be able to look forward and say there is still greater things in my future. God is still walking me into paths of great blessing. He's still walking me into paths of great confidence. He's still walking me into places of flourishing and of fruitfulness. He walks him into a place that says, my heart is filled with expectation. And sometimes it doesn't seem like we're filled with expectation. Sometimes it seems like we're filled with doubt. We're filled with dread. We're filled with uncertainty. But when I know that all I do is win through him, then I have great expectation. In fact, the more unsettling the situations get, the more expectation I have to say, I wonder what God is going to do with this mess right here. Because this has gotten a little bit crazy. I don't know about you, but last year and even the beginning of this year, it's gotten a little bit crazy. And I am filled with so much expectation. We set our hearts, we set our minds, not on all of the chaos, but on the things of above. Colossians says, set your heart on things above with great expectation for what he will do with it. And then it says that they are, in, that they are unashamed. Paul says, I will no way be shamed which is a big statement because to be in the position that he was in, in the culture and in the context that he was in, was considered a huge shame. 
He was locked up in prison. By, by all of the, the kind of common cultural context that he found himself in, he most certainly should have been shamed and embarrassed by the place that he found himself in. But Paul says, I will not be shamed. I will not be shamed because I know whose I am. I know where I have been found. And I know that ultimately when I stand before God, I will stand before him pure and righteous and ready and that judgment will not come to me but the loving grace and goodness of a father. He says, I will in no way be ashamed, which is good news if you're a person who has ever walked through anything that you were not proud of, which I believe is all of us. Bless your soul if you have never walked through anything that you're not proud of. You're probably about a year old right? But when we've walked through something and then we can look and say, you know what? I have cause. I have a reason. I have things that I could be ashamed of. But because he has welcomed me home into his presence, because I have been called part of the family of God, I will in no way be shamed. When we do baptisms today after service, it's gonna be that physical reminder that anything that the enemy would try and hang on us or put on us that looks and feels like shame or condemnation is left behind as the former man goes down and the new creation rises up whole in Christ Jesus, victorious in Christ Jesus, walking in that place that says, I will be unashamed. And then it says he gives them full courage. He told them, I will stand in full courage. Some of the translations say in sufficient confidence. I love that. Sufficient confidence for the moment that I'm in, for the place that I find myself in. My courage will not falter. My courage will not be halfway. My courage will not shrink back. I stand in full courage and in sufficient confidence. Come on, that same kind of confidence like my little five-year-old that says, huh, I heard we lost today. I am still the best player that you have ever seen in your entire life. I am still prepared for this moment. I am still ready to show up, not because we stand on our own, shank, own strength, but like Zechariah says, that it's not by might and it's not by power, but it's by his spirit. When we know that the Holy Spirit in us, on us, around us, working through us is the thing that gives us strength and confidence and wisdom and strategy to win in the moment that God has brought us to, we have full courage and our courage and our confidence doesn't come from our abilities though God has made you amazing and equipped you for this moment our courage and our confidence comes from our connectedness with Christ it comes from a place of knowing that Jesus is the forever victorious God that from the moment that Jesus stepped into the scene he had already one. He had already overcome. It wasn't a question of, is he going to be able to pull this off? Is he going to slide through home at the last second? No, he was already victorious. And we know that because he was already victorious, that we are already, we are not waiting to find out if he is the overcoming God. We are not waiting to find out, is he going to be the living God? We're not waiting to find out. I won't... When Jesus was on the cross, 
He's hanging on the cross in what looks like the worst moment of his living life, and he utters the words, it is finished. Not on the other side of his resurrection. He doesn't wait until he has risen and can now stand there to say to them, it's finished, look, I did everything. Before he went into the tomb, it was already done. So he stood in the place of the pain. He stood in the place of the suffering. He stood in the place of the torment when it looked like it was the messiest that it was possibly going to get. And he said, it's not a question of whether or not I will be victorious. It's already done. So don't judge me by the fact that it looks like a mess right now. Judge me by the fact that I am God in flesh. On this side, it is finished, which is why we have to stop scrabbling around. I'm so off my notes right now. We have to stop wondering whether or not God is going to be able to turn up for us. We have to stop questioning whether or not he's going to be able to work this out in the end we are hanging on whatever our moment of our cross is whatever our moment of suffering is and instead of standing in the confidence that says all I do is win we're standing in the moment asking questioning doubting whether or not he can do it wondering and wandering down all kinds of reckless loose paths that aren't taking us to the place of victory and opening up in our lives spiritual doors for the enemy to walk into and say that's a weak spot I'm going to start messing with you in that place. That's where your doubt is good. Let me walk in there and start wiggling with that. That's your insecurity good. Here comes a person that's going to speak right to it because we are not focused on things above because we don't believe that he is the God victorious because we don't believe that he has already won it and because we don't believe that we are joint heirs with him seated in heavenly places. Scripture says that you are joint heirs with Christ that when he said it is finished because he already knew that he was going to rise up he pictured your face he knew that you were on the other side of it and he knew that you would be seated with him in heaven not as a part not as a portion but as a joint heir with him ready to share in every victory ready to share in his glory ready to share in his resurrection ready to share in his winning he has seated you in the heavenly place I got ahead of myself okay Romans 8 17 Okay, okay, turn to Romans 8, 17. I want to look at this. Romans 8, 17, because let's break it down. Let's not just shout about it. Romans 8, 17 says, And if children, if you are children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him as well. So this year, at the beginning of this year, Phil and I have been um, like organizing some of our financial paperwork, right? Last year, we gave birth to one son, and we finalized the adoption on our other son. So at the beginning of this year, we took some of our paperwork, and we wanted to make sure that all three of them are listed on all of our documents. That way, if anything happens to us, they're all taken care of. 
And the way that that works, as most of you know, is that that, uh, that support would be distributed to each of them equally, that each of them would get an equal distribution of that financial support to make sure that they were okay. It's not divvied up like a little bit over here and a little bit over there. It's separated so that each of them can then equally be heirs of whatever we have left to them. God says it's, it's, it's not a totally sufficient picture, but what God says is when you are welcomed into the family of God, you are one of my children. Just like Jesus is one of my children, and I have seated you in heavenly places as a joint heir with him. And unlike what Phil and I do in our finite ability where we have to take our pie and divide it in equal portions, God doesn't have to divide his pie into equal portions. He pours out the whole thing because every time he pours it out, there's more coming right behind it. So when he says, I have seated you as a joint heir with Christ, he says that all of the glory of his resurrection, all of the victory that is in Christ, you have access to all of it, to all of it, because you are seated in that very same place with him. You are victorious. All you do is win. It is no wonder then by the time that Paul gets to the end of Romans chapter eight, he says, no, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You have to get inside of you that we are more than conquerors, more than enough, more than sufficient, all I do is win. When I feel broken, I win. When I feel downcast, I win. When it looks like a valley, I win. And when I'm on the mountaintop, I win through him. For I am sure that neither life nor death, come on, you have to get a, I am sure. I am sure of it. I will not be shaken from it. I will not be moved from it. You can't talk me out of it because I am sure that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor what's happening right here, right now, nor what's in the future. I am not afraid of what's coming. I stand in expectation of what's coming. Because no powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. And I wanna tell you what part of what God was showing me this last week, I don't know if you've read this verse this way or it's just the way my mind has worked, but I've read it like there are things that are trying to push his love away from me right? Like God and, and his love is here and there are things that are trying to wedge his love away from me, but that's not the direction of his love. That's not the manifestation of who he is. His love has been entirely poured out. 
And the story of the prodigal son, the person that is the picture of the Father God and his love is the Father who is standing, waiting. His love is standing, is waiting. His love is always constant. His love doesn't get separated from me. I get separated from his love. And we have to get an I am sure on the inside of us that says nothing will separate me from your love. Not plague, not epidemic, not social unrest, not economic questioning, not disease, not hurt, not family trials, not tribulations. Nothing is gonna pull me away from the place of his love because the place of his love is where my win is found. But there is a caveat. There's a nail that the whole thing hangs on. All I do is win through Christ Jesus. And today, if you don't have assuredness in your life, in your heart, in your mind, that you are winning through Christ Jesus, today is a good day to get that thing right. Today is a good day to say, God, I wanna welcome you into my life. I know that your love has been right here. And instead of turning this way and walking from it, I wanna turn and I wanna walk into your love. I wanna walk with your love. I want the confidence to live in a place that says I am more than a conqueror. He wants to welcome you home. So whether you're in the room or whether you're online, I'm gonna pray a really simple prayer and I want you to say it out loud because there is power in your mind hearing what your spirit is doing just goes like this it says dear Jesus I thank you for your love I believe in your resurrection and I want to be welcomed home come into my life today in Jesus name amen 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 come on church let's rejoice <laughs>